Thank you, ladies. That was a blessing. Amen? I was so caught up in the moment, I forgot I didn't turn my mic on. And so it took me a few moments to uh, get the mic on and get it unmuted. But I really wanted to do that to prove to y'all that I am older than your pastor, and I'm forgetful. <laughs> and I know y'all have teased him, uh, but I want you to back off, because he is my son in the ministry. And you know how it is, parents? You can say anything you want to about me, but you better leave my kids alone. Don't you, don't you mess with my kids. So I want you to back off. Just don't tease him anymore about how old he looks, all right? <clears throat> I, I want to tell you who he really does look like. He looks just like his dad. You didn't get to know his dad, but his dad was the first deacon we ordained there at Bowman. And his dad was a, a, an incredible singer and uh, loved music. And uh, I said to Natalie at the table tonight, I said, I can look at his hands, I can look at his, his features and just mannerisms. He is his dad. He's Wayne Burden. And uh, I loved his dad. I thank God uh, for the encouragement that Wayne and Farrell Burden were to us in the ministry. Uh, we moved in a parsonage. We didn't have any furniture to put in it, nothing. I mean, literally had the bed. That was about it. And uh, they went and got a little love seat and some furniture and helped move in there. And I'm, you never forget those things. You never forget it. And so all I'm saying is this. He looks like his dad. His dad was a good man, godly man, loved the Lord. And, uh, and listen, uh, Philip, Philip's kind of always been an, you know what an old soul is? So he's just an old soul. He can't help it, okay? And uh, anyway, I've had fun listening to y'all pick on him, though. It's, it's been good, but that's enough now. Okay, don't say Don't say anything else. All right. <clears throat> well, tonight, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. While you turn there, some of you asked last night, said, why didn't you bring any books? We'd have bought them if you brought them. And the truth of the matter is, uh, I don't have any, but I asked the office today how you could get them. And they said, if you go to Liberty Live, L-I-V-E dot church, that it's on the website, libertylive.church. And uh, you just go there to the store or go to my page about the pastor, and it'll show there this book, Parenting Your Parents. And uh, it's based on the 23rd Psalm, and just uh, we wrote it in honor of our dads who are now with the Lord and, and now talking about the journey of caring for our moms. And let me tell you, you may not be there now, but you will be. I mean, it's just, it's just part of life, is it not? It's just part of life. And so uh, for those who ask, that's where it's at, libertylive.church, uh, and you can uh, find it there, Parenting Your Parents. Well, I need to get rid of it so I can preach. Give it to you. Okay, all right. Well, uh, it's going on where you take me to eat again tomorrow night. Man, we did eat some good, good country cooking tonight. And uh, I am so full, I can't hardly, whoo, get going. Uh, my wife's saying, hurry up. Oh, my, I mean, I'm so full. My goodness. Well, have you found 2 Timothy chapter 2? Two of you? Anybody else? All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is pictured as a body. 
It's pictured as a bride. It's pictured as a family. It's pictured as a community. I want you to know that Christianity is not just believing, it's belonging. You become part of the family of God. And it is possible for you to love the church and not love Jesus. I mean, there are plenty of people that go to church every Sunday, but they're some of the meanest people that ever walked the planet. They do not have the spirit of this book. They do not have the spirit of Christ abiding in them. So it's possible to love the church and not love Jesus. But it is impossible to love Jesus without loving his church. Uh, The church is also pictured as an army. And uh, this is the picture that was first expressed when Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Ancient cities built walls around for protection. And the most vulnerable place was the city gate. And the enemy would charge the city gate. I'm telling you, Jesus pictures the church on the offensive, not the defensive. When you read about the armor of God, it it protects the front, not the flank, because we should not be running in retreat. The church should be penetrating lostness. We should be charging the gates of hell. And yet I told you 94% of churches are losing ground. That means 94% of churches are pushing back, pulling back, rather than advancing forward. And everybody sitting here tonight, you're doing one or the other. You're either going forward, advancing forward, or you're in retreat. And only you and God know where you stand spiritually. Let me tell you this. We've lost the concept of the church being the army of God. Uh, It's not even politically correct to sing songs that I grew up singing. I was saved in vacation Bible school. We sang onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. We'd sing hymns like stand up. Stand up for Jesus, you soldier of the cross. And yet, we can't sing any of that stuff. It's too militant. They say, you know, it's just not politically correct. Let me tell you what I think about being politically correct. That's what I think about being politically correct. I'm telling you, I'd rather be biblically correct than politically correct any day. All right? So, we're going to see here in 2 Timothy that we're told to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly uh, the title of the message tonight, a good soldier. What does it mean to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ? I like what Patton said about Phil Marshall Montgomery. He said, Montgomery's more interested in not losing a battle than he is in winning one. And that's a lot of churches. They're just playing it safe. That's a lot of Christians just playing it safe. And yet I want you to know that time is short, that there's an urgency about what we're doing, and, and, and you, you can't just play it safe. You can't just stay in your comfort zone. But we've got to advance forward. Now, what does it mean to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the first thing I want you to write down. To be a good soldier, you've got to be strong. Everybody say, be strong. Let me tell you, the Christian life's not a playground. It's a battleground. Have you ever noticed the things that never bother you never happen, but the things that bother you most happen all the time? That's by design. 
you have an enemy, a spiritual enemy, and the enemy knows exactly where to attack you, where to hit you. That's why, listen, he can't steal your salvation, so he works hard at stealing the joy of your salvation. And he harasses the people of God. I don't know why it is. You could just be driving along, minding your own business, and some total stranger you don't even know just cuts you off. Uh, I, I've been going along, minding my own business, and somebody go by me and give me a, a California wave and, and tell me I'm number one. You know what I'm saying? And it just, boy, it just knocks the spirit right off of you. Just, oh, you just, it just flies all over you, you know? And, and I'm telling you, the enemy is coming to attack you, and he wants to rattle you. In fact, the enemy comes, Jesus said, but to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me explain that. Steal your understanding. Steal, kill your joy. And then, steal, kill, and destroy. If he never steal your understanding, just get you to think wrong. See, the reason people do wrong is because they think wrong. And I'm telling you, if he never gets you to think wrong, then he can get you to to do wrong, steal and kill. He wants to kill your joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so what he wants to do is that you just don't enjoy your marriage anymore. You don't enjoy your children anymore. You don't enjoy your work. You just don't enjoy your job. You don't enjoy uh, having your devotions and reading your Bible. And if the devil gets to the place you start thinking wrong, are y'all listening? And kill your joy. You just don't enjoy serving God and living the Christian life anymore. Then he can cause you to what? Throw in the towel. He'll cause you to quit and it'll destroy God's purpose and plan for your life. Now, I want you to, to get this. We're overcomers through the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. We love not our lives, even unto that. Our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Every day, this is my routine. Every day, I get up every day and I go make coffee. And while I, uh, coffee's making, I go get on my knees. And I get on my knees, thank God for a new day, thank God for rest last night. And I always confess, Jesus, you're my Lord. Because one day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord, I want it to be what I have done every day living for Jesus. Every day. I get on my knees and I confess Jesus as Lord. And let me tell you the, the, the freedom of that. When your life becomes his life, then your problems are his problems. And you can say, God, hey, your car broke down. Your washing machine tore up. Are y'all getting anything out of this? Your teenager's driving me crazy. <laughs> See, when he's Lord, every area of your life belongs to him. And that means you ain't got a problem. He's got a problem. And he can handle it. He can fix it. And so I want you to know we're strong in the Lord. Our strength's not in our flesh, but it's in the grace of God. Look back at the verse again. You therefore, my son, be strong, not in your own strength, but what? In the grace. Everybody say grace. Let me tell you, the Bible talks about the manifold grace of God. The word there means multicolored, many colored. Let me tell you, he's got blue grace for blue Mondays. He's got whatever color is needed for whatever situation you're going through. The Bible talks about saving grace in Ephesians 2 and strengthening grace in 1 Timothy 2 and sufficient grace in 2 Corinthians 12 and sharing grace in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'm telling you, God's the God of all grace. And so you can be strong, not in yourself, but in grace. So I ask you, are you going forward in grace? Or are you going backward in disgrace? 
Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was God's word to Joshua. This was God's word to Timothy through Paul. And it's God's word to you tonight. How many of you receive it? Number two, write this down. You want to be a good soldier? Not only be strong, but number two, win others. Look at verse two. And the things that you have heard from me... Among many witnesses can meet these two faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's four generations mentioned right there. He said, you got it. the things that you heard from me, you commit to faithful men who will teach other men. Uh, you're seeing that before your very eyes. What I have taught Philip and Natalie in that youth group, in that first church, God has used them to teach many others throughout the years the older he gets. All right, so I'm just saying to you that, that is, that's God's plan, that we are committing it to others. Now, hear me. You can't teach what you don't know. You can't tell somebody how to get somewhere you've never been before. I'm telling you, you, you can't tell somebody how to have a devotion if you don't have a devotion or how to pray if you don't pray or how to tithe if you don't tithe or how to serve if you don't serve or how to give if you don't give you can only teach others what you experientially personally have learned from the Lord and so I, I want you to get where to win others and I believe we teach it at a young age we, we've got eight grandchildren our oldest is Noah and uh, Noah was about four I think when this story happened um, uh, one day, uh, they were, the, my daughter, Elizabeth, stopped at Starbucks. And it didn't have a drive-in or a drive-through. So she had to go inside with four little children. And we said, why in the world would you do that? She said, I, I got four little children. I was desperate for coffee. And so she went in. Well, Noah was the oldest. And so he was standing there at the counter. And, and this lady, you know, is, is preparing the coffee. And he just kept jumping to look over the counter. And he'd jump. And he'd say, God, 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 God. Well, when Lindsay Beth got him back in the car, she said, Noah, why did you keep yelling at that lady back there, God? He said, Mom, because people need to know about God. And she said, well, next time, put a few more words with it. <laughs> and so a few days later, they ordered pizza. And so she went downstairs to open the door and pay the pizza guy. And, man, Noah came running down those stairs. <laughs> he got right up to the pizza guy, delivery guy, and he said, <laughs> he said, God wants to live in your heart. He said, does God live in your heart? And I mean, just a little four-year-old sharing the gospel. Uh, I love it. Our, our seniors and our youth group, they've been going with our missions pastor to a Muslim country. And uh, they learn how to share their faith with Muslims. And uh, Muslims are coming to Christ all around the world through dreams. And, uh, and so he was teaching them. And they were in the marketplace and talking to this carpenter man. And, and so one of the teenagers said, sir... Uh, have you had any dreams lately? To which the man responded. He said, yes, I did. I had a dream the other night. He said that I was on this side of this huge river. And there was a man on the other side of the river on a white horse whose name is Jesus. And I asked him, how can I come to you? And he said, 
I'm sending some people to tell you how. And the man looked at our high school student and said, Are you the people who will tell me how to get to Jesus? Now, I'm just telling you, if that messes up your theology, go back and read your Bible. There's a lot about dreams in the Old Testament. Even in the New Testament, old men are going to dream dreams. Young men are going to see visions. I'm just telling you, there are Muslims coming to Christ around the world through dreams, and God's revealing himself to them. So they believe in Jesus, but they believe he's just one of the prophets, a great teacher. But they need to know him as the God of heaven and earth. And they were able to win this man to Christ. So I want you to, to think about this. You every day come in contact with people your pastor is never going to come in contact with. God's given you a circle of influence. Who are you winning? Who's your one? Who are you talking to? Who are you building relationships with? My wife's the best at this, better than I ever thought about being. And I'm telling you, she is constantly developing relationship with people who are lost. And she just loves on them, and, and she builds a relationship with them to be able to introduce them to Jesus. And so I want you to know, if you want to be a good soldier, and I live in Hampton Roads. we got every branch of the military there, the CIA and NASA. I'm telling you, our church is filled with the military. And I thank God for our military families. And I thank God for the sacrifice that they make. But hear me, we're to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to understand, if you're going to be a good soldier, you've got to be strong, you've got to win others. Number three, you've got to endure hardship. Look at verse three. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? Hardship is normal. Persecution is promised. In this life, you shall have persecution. It's one of those promises we don't like to claim. I'm telling you, when something happens to us, the average Christian says, Why is this happening to me? Woe is me. You know? I mean, it's the attitude like, I'm the only one who's ever had to go through this. No. Uh, the Bible says that we're all in the same boat. These same sufferings are being experienced by your brothers and sisters around the world. In fact, here's what I would tell you. The Bible says in Hebrews that we're to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And the context there is in the last days, as you see the day approaching, the context is persecution. All around the world, there are brothers and sisters who continue on a regular basis to meet and worship and pray and witness knowing the price that they're going to have to pay for it. And yet I tell you, Americans forsake church not because of suffering, oh no, but because of selfishness. Americans forsake church not because of persecution, but because of prosperity. You understand, uh, used to we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three times a week at least. And that's not counting visitation and everything else that happened in between. Now, a regular church attender in America attends one time a month. One time on Sunday morning a month. And that's considered regular. I'm just telling you, we're living in those days when people are forsaking the assembling of themselves together. And we've got to expect hardship. We've got to expect persecution. Uh, a couple of Sundays ago, I got to honor a World War II uh, veteran. 
And uh, it was his 94th birthday. And uh, as I honored him on that Sunday morning, you think about that generation. They left the comforts of home. I had a, uh, a, a deacon, uh, Paul Taylor, in, at the church in Arkansas. And he got married. And I mean, just uh, within a month or two after being married, he left. And he didn't come back. And they, they didn't have the internet. And they didn't have smartphones. I'm telling you, he didn't come back until he saw his wife and his three-year-old little boy for the very first time. You think about the sacrifice of that generation. They laid aside personal affairs, devoted themselves to their duty. They marched through the rain and the snow and extreme heat and cold, and they battled the elements, the worst of conditions, because they were good soldiers. Now, what's our problem? Why can't we be a good soldier of Jesus Christ? You know, it doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down. What counts is how many times you get back up. And it's never the hardest punch that knocks you out. It's the one you didn't see coming. Hello. And so I want you to know we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Everybody look to your right. That's flesh and blood. Look to your left. That's flesh and blood. Your, your, your wife's not your problem. Your husband's not your problem. Your kids are not your problem. The deacons aren't the problem. The pastor and staff's not the problem. Your neighbor's not your problem. Your mother-in-law's not the problem. Flesh and blood's not the problem. I'm just telling you, the devil is out to attack you and discourage you and harass you, and he'll use anybody or anything he can. And so we got to be prepared for hardship. I'm saying that you got to man your post when you feel like it and when you don't. Have you ever understood why on Monday morning, the same kid that said, I don't feel good on Saturday night and kept everybody from going to church? On Monday morning, it doesn't work. Mom, I don't feel good. You're going to school. We got to go to work. On Saturday night, kids say, oh, I don't feel good. We all going to stay home and blow little Johnny's nose. I mean, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Expect hardship. These young couples come to me all the time. Now, say, pray we can have a baby. Pray we can have a baby. Pray we can have a baby. They have a baby. I don't ever see them again. Why are y'all not coming? We don't want to put the baby in the nursery. We don't want to expose it to anything. It goes to daycare for you to go to work. Have we got stupid up here on our forehead? I mean, come on, people. My philosophy, I mean, literally every baby we had, Tammy had the baby the following Sunday. We were in church, and I'm just telling you, we threw them in the nursery early. My philosophy was expose them to everything you can to build their immune system. Amen. That might be a little extreme, but y'all get my point. Hey, others are depending on you. Whether you feel like it or not, you need to be in your place, man your post, do what God has called you to do because people are depending on you and the greatest ability is dependability. All right? Number four, you're going to be a good soldier, avoid distractions. Look at this one, number four. It says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Now, don't misinterpret that verse. It's not saying you shouldn't ever get involved in the affairs of this world. You, listen, you can't live in this world without getting involved in the affairs of this world. We ought to be involved in the political process and in social issues and in the needs of our community. But hear me. Don't get overly entangled. Don't get overly involved. Jesus is number one. 
I don't care what organization you're part of. Jesus is number one. You know, it's just so important. We taught our kids this. Listen, they played every sport. They, 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 they would be in the band. They'd be playing football, cheerleading until halftime, and then throw the shoulder pads off, go get the trombone, do the band thing, then go to the locker room. They did it all. They did it all. But I'm telling you, if we had revival meeting, they'd go to practice. And as soon as it was time for church start, they would come in with football pads on and sit back on the back row. You say, oh, but if they leave early and the kid misses a practice, then they won't be able to start. If they're any good, they will. <laughs> now, your, your kid's probably not uh, Michael Jordan. But if he is, he'll start, okay? I just want you to know. And you can go to every practice you want to, and if he ain't no good, they ain't playing. I'm just telling you, they're not going to start anyway. Hey, don't get overly involved in the things of this world. I know uh, we're headed into another election, and I don't want to get on politics. But I, I just want you to know, go vote your conviction, stand up for what is right. But don't sell your soul to the RNC or the DNC because our hope's not in the RNC or the DNC. It's in JC, Jesus Christ. And I have to get on to our staff all the time, especially the young ones, especially the millennials. They want to argue on social media. And they'll get involved in politics. And I don't care which side they're on, I have to get on to them because, listen, why in the world would a preacher of the gospel ever shut the door on half the population. Y'all understand we're, we're split pretty 50-50 in this country. So it don't matter which side you're on. If you're just out there and you're just, you know, you're, you're just taking your stand for whatever party and whatever candidate, you've isolated the other half of the country. And I'm just telling you, in four years or less, they'll be gone. But Jesus will still be the answer. And so no preacher of the gospel ought to in any way close the doors to preach the gospel for political purposes. Now with that said, that doesn't mean you can't get involved in politics or stand for what's right or, or have convictions. Y'all get what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and the, the Bible says the world will know we're his disciples by the way we love one another. And I'm just telling you, most of the people can't even discuss politics without being angry. And they're just mad. And they just want to fight. And there ought to be something different about the child of God, even when we do discuss it. And all God's people see it. I also mentioned last night, you've got to protect the vision of your church. Because we're talking about don't get distracted. Avoid distractions. And good things will distract you. Listen, you can't be everything to everybody. You can't do everything. And so you've got to really pray through what God wants you to do and uh, I, I would just encourage you um, you got a limited amount of time limited amount of, of calendar space a limited amount of resources and so stop trying to do everything and get on your knees and ask God what does he want you to do and, and, and we're not we're try, trying to be some other church you, you be First Baptist Church Ozark you be the church that God's called you to be and avoid distractions. There, there's some things that, hey, 
they were great a long time ago, and, and it was a wonderful season. But it was a season. God works in seasons. And just because it was great 20 years ago doesn't mean it's great today. Even good things. So I'm telling you, you've got to pray through that and make sure you're not distracted. And, and I'll say this, and I'll move on. Stop defending what's not working. The right way to do something is the way that works. And if your way of doing it isn't working, it's the wrong way. You're welcome. All right, number five. Go on. Let's move on. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, it says he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Listen, number five, you want to be a good soldier, you've got to follow orders. I'm just telling you, we live to please our commander and chief. And God's a God of order. In the army, there's rank and order. You think about how in our universe, there are so many systems that God's put in place. Solar, solar system and planets and galaxies and ecosystems. Even in your body. Think about all the systems that are working right now. Your immune system, skeletal system, muscular system, respiratory, uh, reproductive, nervous system, digestive system. From where I ate at Rosie's. I'm just telling you. All these systems in your body at work right now. God is a God of order. And let me tell you, you know when your body doesn't work together. And I told you the church is an army, but the church is also a body. In an army, there's rank and order. And everybody can't be fussing about who's in charge and who's got the authority to do this and who's going to do this and who's going to get the credit for this. I'm just telling you, cancer is when one cell fights the other cells. And in the body of Christ, that's what disunity is like. Uh, we're a body. We're a bride. And in marriage, two becomes one. Me becomes we. And people say, well, I got married and I just lost myself. That's what you signed up for. You signed up to lose yourself. You signed up so that me becomes we. And everything now is a decision between two people, not one. You know, I was preaching Sunday. I said, you singles have it made and don't even know it. When you leave church, you can go anything, eat anything you want to. Go, go anywhere you want to. You can go to uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Y'all have Krispy Kreme here? Oh, that's a little bit of heaven on earth. Go to Krispy Kreme Donuts. You can, listen, you can get a dozen and eat them all yourself. But every Sunday when we leave church, it's always, what do you want to go eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? Well, I don't care. What do you want to eat? Well, I don't know anything you want to eat. And that's every day of our life. And if we do go get a donut, we're going to have to split it. And my partner loves me so much, she'll look at me and say, that's not on your diet. And you know what the doctor said. And I'm just telling you, when you get married, me becomes we. And there has to be unity. That's what we need. John 17. Jesus prayed that we would be one like he and the Father are one. I think about how we're an army. We train together. We work together. We win together. And yet we got so many members who are AOL. I'm telling you, the FBI couldn't find them. You, you, we don't know where they are. AWOL. Gone. Missing in action. 
And our commander-in-chief said, occupy till he comes. And he is coming. Yeah, I think about uh, uh, our other twin boy, Daniel, when he was just a little boy in the kitchen. CNN was on. They didn't have Fox News then. CNN was on. And they were talking about these Israeli boys at the Wailing Wall. And uh, they were saying it was time to rebuild the temple. And they were going to lay the cornerstone. And, and of course, you can imagine uh, what happened. And fighting broke out and several were uh, shot and killed. And, and so um, my older son at the time, who was, I don't know, uh, maybe 14, 13, 14, Taylor, he said, uh, Mom, what do you think? Do you think it really is time to rebuild the temple? And Tammy was over there frying okra. That's a godly thing for a wife to do. And so uh, she was frying okra in the kitchen. And so she said, well, son, I don't know, but I know this, that uh, the temple's going to be rebuilt before the Battle of Armageddon. And little Daniel, I mean, he's, how old was he, baby? Three, four, four years old. He said, Mommy, what is Armageddon? And, uh, and uh, Tammy said to him, said, well, it's the last great battle on on the earth and it's when the devil's going to marshal all the armies of the, of the world to fight against God and as only a little four year old could do he kind of made a face he said why would the devil do that <laughs> he said it's just like Walker Texas Ranger that tells you when this took place right there that was the big program then it's just like Walker Texas Ranger and we all perked up and said what are you talking about he said, we watch Walker and said, every time the bad guys fight against Walker, and every time it looks like the bad guys are going to win, he said, but every time Walker wins, and said, he's always going to win because it's his show. <laughs> hey, I want to tell you tonight, we want to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ because hear me, it's his show. And, and we're fighting not for the victory, but from the victory. And that brings me to my last point. I want you to experience the victory. A good soldier experienced the victory. Look at verse 6. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Now, what does he mean here that the hardworking farmer is the first to eat of the crop? It means just what it says. He's going to eat of his labor. Now, I'm not a cook, but I'm a good griller. I, I can grill a steak. I like to grill food. And when I'm out there grilling, I don't care if it's steak or hot dogs, I'm going to taste it first. I'm going to make sure that it's worth eating. And I'm telling you, it's the same way with a farmer. He works hard, but he'll be the first to eat of the crops. You want me to tell you what that really does mean? Look at where it's used in Scripture. It always talks about taking care of the servant of God. The labor's worthy of his hire. Don't muzzle the ox when he's treading out the grain. And so it literally means uh, take care of your pastor. Take care of the staff. And I know good and well it, it embarrasses him for me to even say it. But that, that's all right. I'm just telling you, I'm just preaching the Bible. And it says the farmer's going to be the first to receive of the harvest. And I don't know what you pay your pastor. don't want to know what you pay your pastor. But I'm just saying, always do the best you can to take care of God's servants. Amen? That's your first missionary right there you got to take care of. Take care of your pastor. Take care of the staff and those that God sends to you. And then it says right here what? It says, consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. We had gone through a strategic planning process for uh, quite some time. 
and it was painful. And uh, we just didn't feel like we were getting anywhere in that process. And so one day I walked in, and I said, everybody, we're going to pray. And I'm not talking about praying like you pray before you eat or pray before you have a meeting. I mean, everybody get on your knees. And we're going to pray till God gives us some clarity. And we prayed that morning. And I want you to know, listen, God can do more in a moment than you can do in a lifetime. We got up off our knees, and I had greater clarity and greater unity in the room than we'd had all throughout the strategic planning process. And it was just like a breakthrough. And I'm telling you, it says right here, don't miss this. What a promise. The Lord will give you understanding in what? All things. I don't know what you got a question about tonight, but I know who's got the answer. And God will give you understanding in all things. And so we got to have that culture of prayer. And so in every meeting now, that's the way we start. They don't even ask me how we start our meetings. Everybody pushes back their chair, gets on their knees. That's why we start every staff meeting. That's why we do every deacon's meeting. That's the way we start every Monday morning. Our staff at the altar, on our knees praying. Why? Because God will give you understanding. Whatever the question is, he's got the answer. And I love this. There are seven letters to seven churches. Seven letters to seven churches. That means God's got a letter for this church. And your letter's probably going to be a little different than a letter to our church. Because we have a different uh, mission field. And, and, and God's plan for every church is not necessarily the same. It's the same great commission. But the way we carry that out. And the way we minister in our community and in our context and, and setting is going to be different. Find God's letter for your church. Well, hear me. God didn't save us to sit around on our blessed assurance. God wants you to be a good soldier. And some of you just need to re-up tonight. You know what mean, re-up means in the military? You know, God didn't save us to sit around complaining about the style of worship or whether or not the pastor's wearing a tie. I didn't wear one tonight. I hope you're not offended. I really don't give a rip if you are. <laughs> Jesus didn't wear one. But I mean, there are people that will jump all over you now if you don't wear a tie. You know, God didn't save us to argue about what to wear. And by the way, <clears throat> notice, I've got on a nice sport coat, pocket hanky. Y'all see that? Nice matching shirt. I do that for all the people that want me to dress up. And then for the young people, I got my jeans on. And then I got wingtip shoes like my grandfather would have worn with soles on it like tennis shoes. I'm telling you, you people drive us pastors crazy. Y'all think we're weird? You made us this way. But it's crazy we come to church thinking that kind of stuff all the time. And I'm telling you, God gave me a vivid picture of what our job really is. On a Wednesday night, uh, we were getting ready to leave from the Hampton campus to go over to the Harborview campus. And as we were driving away, there was a car out there at the red light that was on fire. At the hood of the car, you just saw a few little flames coming out. And so I pulled over and tried to, in that traffic, 
get over where we could stop and get out. And I noticed an older man, senior adult, over up there trying to get the car door open and get the lady out of the car that was on fire. But the door's locked. And the man cannot get the door open. And in just a few moments, the lady was, who was in a panic passed out. She slumped over uh, the steering wheel. The horn was just constantly blowing. And, and, and so he frantically tried to get her out. And the flames just, and all of it happens just, just like that. The flames just took over the hood. And then in a few moments, they're at his feet, making its way back to the car. And he cannot get this lady out. And so some other people had stopped in the traffic. And younger people were trying to pull the older man away from the car because it looked like the car would explode. And they're trying to get him to go. But he'd shake them off and he'd go back. And, and then they'd pull him back. He'd shake them off again and he'd go back. Finally, a van uh, was several cars back. It was a, a, like a, a cable company. And a guy got a tool out and came and gave it to the older man. The older man broke the glass, reached in, unlocked the door, got her seatbelt out, and then with the help of the other people, drug her out of the flames to safety. We checked on the lady. She was in the hospital in intensive care for uh, over a week, but she lived. And that night, I went home, and I was reminded of what's really important. I got to thinking about it. That lady was totally incapable of saving herself. She was even unaware. She was passed out. Do you understand spiritually all around us people are dead and trespasses and sin, unable to save themselves, and not even aware of their condition? The older man was trying to save her. And good people... We're trying to stop him. Good people trying to pull him back. He just had to shake them off and stay at it. Shake them off and stay at it. And I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of good things and good people going to try to distract us and hinder us from doing the most important thing. And then I got to thinking about it. that man, that older man, he was dressed in a suit and tie and vest, had a felt hat on, had jewelry, he had on glasses. I mean, he was dressed to the hilt. And all those other people behind him, some of them had khakis, and some of them had jeans, and some of them in tennis shoes, and it really didn't matter how everybody was dressed. And you know what? I bet they all weren't listening to the same kind of music. I bet some were listening to hip-hop, and some were listening to country, and, and some, you know, I mean, just all over the board. It didn't matter. I got to thinking about, I bet, I bet some of them voted for Hillary. I bet some of them voted for Trump. I bet some of them voted for a third-party candidate. It really didn't matter. I'm just telling you, they all came together for what mattered most, to save that woman from the flames. Because all around us, there are people unaware of their condition, unable to save themselves, and they're headed for the eternal flames of hell. And I'm telling you, if everybody, listen, if everybody will put aside their differences and preferences and work together like an army of one, 
by God's grace, there'll be a lot of people who will be saved from the eternal flames of hell because you were a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. What did God say to you tonight? How did the Holy Spirit make that personal to your life tonight? First Baptist Church, Ozark, needs good soldiers. People who will re-up. People who will join. People who will man their post, get in their place of service. Who will be faithful God's calling you tonight to be strong, to win others, to endure hardship, avoid distractions, follow orders, and he'll give you the victory. Father, I pray in these moments of invitation and response that the people would do more than hear my voice. God, I pray that they will hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. I pray that they have heard the word of God that is alive, sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, I pray that you will do a work in us tonight of grace. Lord, I pray in these moments for those who need to come and make public decisions, whether salvation or baptism or to unite with this church or to say, Pastor, I want to get busy serving, whatever it is they need to do, Lord, bring them to you in Jesus' name.